We are in week four of our series on cracks, what COVID has revealed in our relationships. And we're basing it on two premises. One, that stress reveals cracks in our relationships that were always there. And two, when these cracks are revealed, we need to repair them before they become canyons. So today we are focusing on crack number three, which is low commitment low commitment. Now, when commitment is low, other people, things, and activities can take priority over our relationship and over our um, spouse or partner. And as that crack widens, what happens is that we can become apathetic or disinterested in our partner. And then ultimately, when commitment is no longer there, A person can betray their partner by having an affair and and introducing the canyon of unfaithfulness. So this this crack can turn into a canyon that can separate two people who once made a commitment to each other. So when we see low commitment, we can do several things. One, ignore it, pretend it's not there. Two, patch it up by maybe grudgingly trying to spend more time with a partner. Or three, we can repair it by doing the hard work of self-examination, looking at our hearts and our attitudes, and changing some of those behaviors that are destructive and making big changes. And let's look at the Bible to see what the Bible has to say about commitment, particularly in marriage. So we're going to look at Genesis 2, verse 15 through 25, to look at commitment between the first man and the first woman. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and then closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both naked, and they felt no shame. So we see here that commitment has two parts. One, leaving, and two, uniting, or what the King James Version calls cleaving. So we're going to look at leaving and cleaving. So first, you have to leave. And now, in Jewish culture, the, the man actually brings his wife to wherever his family is. So this verse is actually more metaphorical. This leaving is more metaphorical. And it's actually in, an instruction to the man uh, to forsake his, his parents. And we'll see what that looks like. But forsaking or leaving is to remove uh, other attachments to leave those attachments behind. So in this case, it would be the priority of his parents, his friends, uh, his interests, hobbies, um, anything that 
was important to him, he has to leave behind because now his wife is going to become his priority. And we see that there's an actual physical leaving um, by establishing his own household and having boundaries between what belongs to him and his wife and what belongs to his parents. But there's also another level of leaving, which is the emotional leaving. This is where now his loyalty, his primary loyalty and his primary attachment is to his wife, not to his parents and not to his friends. He now depends on her and emotionally depends on her as well as physically depending on her. And so we see this physical and emotional leaving. And so that was biblical times. The, the verse is speaking to the husband, but we know that leaving and cleaving is also for the wife, that she also has to do her own leaving and cleaving to her husband. Um, therapist Dan Allender and author, um, he wrote in his book, Intimate Allies, and he makes the point that in his experience working with couples, that he would trace 90% of a couple's discord and problems back to a failure to leave. So 90%. In my own work with Hmong couples and Asian couples, I would say that it's about 100%. Um, it's still very high, 90% to 100%. Um, and what does this look like, this, this failure to leave? Well, it, it can be anything from uh, running back home when things go wrong, or it is uh, sharing intimate information with your parents or your siblings instead of keeping it personal and private between you and your, your partner. Um, it may be still depending on your parents financially, uh, and most often it is being obligated to your parents by uh, supporting them financially at the expense of supporting your own family and your, your partner. Okay, so those are just some examples. Now I said that, that there's a second part to commitment. After you leave, you also have to cleave. And cleaving or uniting has this idea of sticking to and holding fast to. It, it's being joined together. Um, the Hebrew word has this has the um, idea of strong bonding to, together and gluing or cementing of two things together. And, and we see this, for example, in the, the way that Ruth was clinging to Naomi, her mother-in-law, in Ruth 1 verse 14. Uh, we also see it used um, to describe the Israelites and how they were holding fast um, to the Lord in love and in obedience. And so even with cleaving, we have a physical cleaving and an emotional cleaving. And the physical cleaving, we understand it is living together and being uh, physically, sexually intimate with one another. But a deeper meaning is to also have emotional cleaving. And this is where there's loyalty and dependence and attachment um, for one another as husband and wife. So there's an emotional cleaving. 
we also see a third component to commitment and it is that marital commitment is permanent and we find this actually in what jesus said um, so when some religious leader leaders came to jesus and tried to trick him um, by asking him about divorce this is what jesus said in both mark 10 and then in Matthew 19. So reading in Matthew 19, verse 4 through 6, this is what we find. Haven't you read, he replied, that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female and said, For this reason a man will leave his father and mother and be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. In other words, this leaving and cleaving that now has happened is part of what God does to a man and a woman when they get married. And when they are joined together, it is permanent. Um, permanent in the sense that God says no one should separate them. So that's what commitment is that we see in the Bible. And research on commitment supports this. So two particular um, psychologists who did research looking at commitment in couples, uh, their names are Benjamin Carney and Thomas Bradbury. They did a study and they published their findings in 2012 where they followed 172 married couples over the first 11 years of their marriage. And this is what they found. There seems to be two types of commitment in marriage. The first is what we, ca we can call personal commitment. This is where a person says, hey, I really like you and I like this relationship and I want it to continue. And because of that, then um, I'm gonna be faithful to you and I'm not going to, uh, have other people in my life okay so that's a personal commitment um we say these vows you know i take you to be my wedded husband or wife to have and to hold from this day forward that would be the personal commitment and it's in essence the commitment to to be faithful to you and to not have anyone else so there's the sexual or physical faithfulness. Um, and there's also the emotional faithfulness that you will have a place in my life where, where you and I will have the deepest emotional connection with each other. But what the two researchers found is that there's a second type of commitment. It's almost like a, a, another level of commitment. And this level of commitment is more what we would call a moral commitment to a relationship. So now you're not just committed to the person, but you say, hey, I'm committed to the relationship and I will do whatever it takes to make the relationship work. And at this level of commitment, the person has values and beliefs that will help them to stay in the relationship and to work hard on it no matter what happens. So, you know, in sickness or in health, for better or for worse, for richer or for poorer, you will stay in there and you will work to make the relationship work. 
Um, this requires that you be able to make sacrifices, that you um, invest emotionally into the relationship, and that you link your own personal goals to the goals of the relationship and the marriage, and that you not only seek your partner's welfare, but you will do what it takes to to make the relationship or to keep the welfare of the relationship going. Oftentimes people will say, I'm committed to you, but then they won't do the hard work that it takes to make the relationship strong and work. So this moral commitment is very important. And what the two researchers found is that this level of commitment could predict better whether couples divorce or stay together. And so this level of commitment is what helps the couple stay together. One way that we can apply this is um, in your own marriage that I would encourage you to get rid of the word, the D word, the word divorce. The word divorce tends to be thrown around or to be used as a threat when you're feeling really hurt or you're really angry or frustrated with your partner. And oftentimes it's it's not even that you want to divorce. It's more that you, you want to get your partner's attention. Um, but it usually has a result that you don't want, which is um, an erosion of the relationship stability um, it often results in your partner now feeling very insecure in the relationship. And, and the reality is that once you throw the word out there, even if it was said in the heat of the moment, that once you put that word out there, you can't take it back. And so I would just encourage you to take the D word out of your conversations and out of your vocabulary with each other. So when we look at the crack of low commitment, we can see that it can easily turn into uh, the canyon of unfaithfulness, whether emotionally or even physically and sexually. Um, because once you stop dedicating time, energy, effort, and attention uh, to your partner and to working on the relationship, it's very easy for other people, activities, and things to take priority over your partner and over the relationship. So instead of cleaving to your partner, it's now easier to cleave to maybe your job or your hobby or your good works that you're doing for other people or to your parents um, and maybe even unfortunately, that you might begin cleaving to someone new, a new love interest. So what is it that you need to do in order to recommit fully to your spouse and to your marriage? What is the repair that is needed right now in your commitment to your partner? Is it perhaps saying no to unhealthy and unrealistic expectations and demands that your parents and your relatives have of you? Is it perhaps 
that you need to work regular hours so that you can just come home and be home with your family and uh, spend time with them and be of help around the house? Is it that you need to commit at a, an emotional level where you're willing to share your thoughts and feelings and your dreams and your failures, all of that with your partner? Maybe it is that you need to work hard on yourself by stopping destructive practices like flirting with others or sending inappropriate texts or using pornography or any of the other addictions that makes you unable to really connect and cleave to your partner. Maybe it's what we talked about earlier, that you get rid of the word divorce. Maybe it's that you start working on yourself to be emotionally and spiritually healthy so that you can be a better partner. Or you may realize that now you have to be more sacrificial. You have to invest more. You have to make compromises so that you can do whatever it takes to make your marriage stronger and to make it work. Let me close with the words of King Solomon who wrote this to his son. And these words are for you and me as well. From Proverbs 5, verse 15 through 19. Drink water from your own cistern running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares? Let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed, and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth, a loving doe, a graceful deer. May her breasts satisfy you always, May you ever be intoxicated with her love. May your commitment be physical and emotional and be strong and deep.